Welcome to the Geniuses of Copywriting Podcast, a peek into the minds and strategies of the world's greatest copywriters, marketers, and persuasion experts. And now, here's your host, Brian Cassangina. Hey there, welcome back to the Geniuses of Copywriting Podcast. Um, I'm here with Dan Ferrari, and it's a, it's a funny story because uh, um, uh, uh, if you uh, it was a while back that uh, um, Dan and I actually did this uh, recording, uh, you know, I don't know, it was, uh, it's a couple of months ago, three months ago. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, uh, God only knows what happened to that recording. You know, it disappeared somewhere in the tech universe, um, something that, uh, that I have no... Uh, uh, knowledge or interest in so you know someday we can yeah. unearth it and sell it for a hundred and ninety seven dollars oh yeah yeah that, that's, 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 that's my secret plan the, <laughs> the lost Dan Ferrari recording <laughs> so yeah um, I, I had to twist Dan's arm and pay him a million dollars and and uh, promise to uh, um, to give him my firstborn son to come back on the uh, the, the show and do over basically all the stuff that uh, uh, that he talked about last time because I, I not uh, quite sure of the details, but I remember that he dropped so he dropped so many nuggets of gold. That's probably why it sank to the bottom of the ocean, and we and we haven't been able to find the episode. So, um, thanks for coming, Big Dan. <laughs> you got it, man. Hopefully, <laughs> we can relive some of those moments of gold and get some good. Yeah, today, yeah, yeah. From what we were talking about a minute ago off air, yeah, you know, uh, I think we will, um, <clears throat> but. To, to go step back a minute, you know, for those who don't know who uh, Dan Ferrari is, um, you know, Dan used to uh, uh, be on the team at uh, Motley Fool and uh, he's uh, uh, left there and started his own uh, um, agency with, uh, with two other guys and he's grown that into a pretty success, successful copywriting agency. So this is not like um, <clears throat> doing Facebook ads for people, it's, it's, doing the actual uh, copy of persuasion, the words that sell. So um, that's a really interesting uh, um, thing in, in itself, Dan. So um, I'd love to hear more, more about to what you guys are doing there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we started that agency in early 2016. It was me and Aaron Winter, who was my copy chief at The Motley Fool, and then another guy that he knew named Joel Karlinski. So the three of us sort of started that with Aaron being what you might call the creative director, Joel handling all the operations and management and sort of like accounts for our clients. And then I was the main copywriter and, you know, things quickly took off. Our first big contract was with Agora Financial because I had a really good um, relationship with Joe Schrieffer that had gone back a few years and he yeah. really admired the work that uh, Aaron and I had done at the Motley Fool. So that was a pretty natural progression over the first few months of the the agency's life to get into that position. And For sure. <laughs> thing, things really grew from there. Um, I mean, we three and a half years later, Agora Financial is still our biggest client and in the financial world where you're actually give them exclusivity so we don't work for any other financial clients but yeah. an interesting thing that happened is probably about a year and a half ago so maybe kind of like halfway through that trajectory of where we are now I started saying you know we should really be doing stuff outside of financial because 
A, it's interesting. I'm very interested in supplements and health and stuff like that. But more importantly, for financial copywriters, there is a huge risk that they have no control over, which is the state of the stock market, right? Yeah. And as the stock market has just continued to go up almost unbelievably so over the last few years, it's always like, when's it going to go down? Mm. And we thought that it would just be a really intelligent move for us to sort of plan our flag with a lot of those big health clients. Yeah. Um, so, Diversification. So I spent, exactly. A little diversification, a hedge against potentially, you know, a lot of that financial writing going away or not being as lucrative anymore. Yeah. So I spent a lot of 2017, 2018, and even a good part of this year really kind of getting in with a lot of those clients. And we've written a bunch of controls for New Market Health and Green Valley at this point and Organifi. So it's been a pretty successful diversification play, I guess you could say. But I think the real lesson there is just everyone will say to specialize, and I agree with that, right? Especially early on, you have to really kind of nail down a particular market. And when you're coming up as a copywriter, it's really hard to keep track of several different markets and to really learn the in and outs of several different prospective customers. But once you do that, um, I think the next move is to look into how to essentially do what you just said, which is diversify against things potentially going bad. I mean, maybe that's not specialization outside of or into a different market, but just different types of clients or looking at different people who do different types of traffic buying and funnels or whatever. Like, you know, it goes back to the old Dan Kennedy thing about the danger of the number one. Yeah, it's the worst number in business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because if you've got all your eggs in that in that basket, then um, <clears throat> you know it it can be uh, amazingly uh, lucrative. Like uh, you know, if if you're Agora Financial with the uh, um, stock market going up, you know um, it's a lot easier to write to write those winners. But uh, but uh, um, if there was a huge crash or something, or some some other uh, uh, type of uh, really big event that negatively impacted one area of your business if that's like everything you've got it's like like it's like having one you know one retainer client you know it's it's uh, um you lose that one and then uh, you're back to square one yeah and you know that the i'm still writing mostly financial copy these days but the beauty of it is as if that event that you just mentioned did happen and joe came to us and said you know we can't pay you guys anymore <laughs> there's yeah half a dozen health clients who are literally begging for more work from us because we came in and we did it and it went so well. That, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's kind of the goal of really looking at your career, even as just a freelancer as being a business and how do you protect it and grow it and basically put yourself in the best position to take advantage of various opportunities. Yes. Yeah, so, um, that leads on to what we were just talking about as well, which is, uh, you know, expanding business-wise. So let me ask you this: if if you're a uh, um, uh, you know, a freelance copywriter working for yourself, um, doing all the all the writing uh, for for all of your clients, um, what do you do when you want to diversify into different areas? I mean, do you uh, learn those new markets? Do you um, 
do you find other writers who can help you or do you find other writers who can, can do, take me down that, that, uh, that path for a freelance copywriter wanting to expand what they're doing? Um, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the story that I just told, I think has the first step, which when we started the agency, what Aaron did that was really, really smart is he essentially put himself and me as the two primary marketers in the position to do all the marketing. And he did that by hiring Joel as being, you know, the chief operating officer who oh, yeah. could really handle a lot of the things that, you know, I don't want to handle as a copywriter. Like I don't schedule my meetings with the clients. He schedules them for me. And then I just show up and then we have the creative discussion Yeah. or, you know, he is sitting in with the client and he understands the larger picture and, you know, some of the political things that have to be considered or some of the things that aren't necessarily on the marketing side that have to be done. And then, you know, he interfaces with the legal department and at the end of the day, he's the one that collects the money and then it just shows up in my account. So even just having someone to take on sort of the, I guess that's what you call the operational role of running a freelance mm. business, mm. right? Like it, it frees up the marketer and the copywriter to do what they're best at. And what I'm saying here is not groundbreaking, right? Mm. But it is the way that we executed it, I think was done really smart because Joel is a strategic asset and every dollar that I make is worth so much more because he's behind it. And so it's, it's about hiring someone who understood the business and who understood what was important in the business and is just as important as the copywriters in helping that business grow. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, um, uh, from my own experience, you know, uh, often freelance copywriters, are, um, uh, good at selling themselves and landing the clients and doing the creative side of things. Um, but when it comes to that operational side of things, you know, um, we ha ne have neither the skill nor the desire uh, to, um, you know, to master any of that stuff. So, so that's, that's a really smart hire that you made there. Yeah. I mean, and the desire is very important too, right? Like, yeah, I've been doing this for, I guess, about seven years now. And I'm still, if you ask me, what am I most passionate about in my day-to-day -day work it's sitting down and writing or you know getting deep into a funnel and working on tests or chiefing a writer yeah. and yeah. that's what i'm allowed to do because i don't have to work in all those other areas that frankly i'm not very good at anyway so even <laughs> if i wanted to do them it wouldn't be good for the business yeah yeah that, that's that's uh, um a good reason why companies hire ad agencies because uh, uh, you know, like, uh, like in my, in my case, again, you know, I know the basics of, of, uh, of Facebook ads, but my, uh, implementation of, of a, an ad campaign would just like, uh, um, not be something that would get results. Uh, um, no matter how much, uh, I'd like to actually, uh, master that skill, you know, so, um, you got to have both sides of the coin. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, to continue answering your question, the, the next step that we took, and I think the next step that is very, very helpful for 
most writers is to start bringing in junior writers. Mm. And there's a lot of different ways that you can work with junior writers. There's a lot of different ways that junior writers can sort of come in and not only help an organization or the writer that they're working for, but also really enhance their own development and accelerate their own, the rate at which they're getting better too. And so happy to dive into some of that as well. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, um, it's one of the things that, that I also want to look at too, you know, bringing in uh, different writers to work on projects. So, I mean, do they, uh, do these guys, um, uh, do you favor um, Western based or English speaking writers? And do you like, uh, um, do you pay writers from, um, you know, less developed parts of the world because they, uh, they usually charge less or do you prefer to pay uh, um, uh, more for a native English speaker? Um, you know, we don't have any real, I guess, mold when we bring mm -hmm. people in. The real requirement for us is that we're, we generally are only looking for people who can work for us in some sort of recurring capacity at some point, right? Yeah. So we're looking for talent that can be developed and of course, running a business, like you have to be able to, to operate that talent at a profit, correct? Um, but what we have found is that there's kind of a few different, call it like molds of where junior writers might be. And depending on where they are in, the, in their career and what they've done in the past, like you can sort of plug them in to different areas. So you know, if you take someone who's kind of like a, a very junior level writer, the first thing that you can have them do is essentially be kind of a right-hand man to a lead writer on a project, Yeah. right? And so we've done this with great success in the past where say I'm leading a project and one of the junior writers comes in, helps me with a lot of the research, helps me with the planning, um, and then potentially if they're up for it or we think that they're capable even writing certain sections that are pretty standalone and so they don't have to have a huge understanding of kind of what's going on at different parts of the promo but they can write say four or five pages of bonus copy or something like that yeah yeah um and then they can really assist in the editing process and in some of the you know with a lot of our clients there's a pretty stringent legal review where more information is requested things like that yeah and then that's a great model for us because if that writer is working with me they're going to get a share of my royalties yeah. and so there's a there's a nice monetary incentive for them and that you know the potential for a dan ferrari project to make a lot of money is pretty high frankly right mm. and they're getting in on that and they're also learning and they're getting paid so that's been like a really really good model for us um, another thing that we've done a lot that I think is critical is putting people in short form projects. And the reason for that is that the problem with a long form project, whether it's, you know, writing a full VSL or building out kind of a longer autoresponder series, or even making like a, a funnel or something like that is that the the return of information is very slow, right? Even if you work very fast, which we do, you're looking at weeks yeah. at, the, 
at the fastest to get your data. Project. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so there's a really high cost to getting data, but data is really, really valuable, especially for a developing writer, because it tells them so much about what's working. It tells them so much about the various triggers that that market is responding to. It helps them rapidly iterate their work and their understanding of how to get better. Right. Um, and so that requires data, but the best type of data is what I call cheap data, right? So those long form projects, those big projects, that's expensive data because it takes a lot of time yeah. and your <clears throat> time is money, right? Like there's literally <laughs> so. a cost attached to people's time, mm. but cheap data is data that comes back very fast because there's not a whole lot that goes into it, right? Like even say kind of your most intense short form project, which might be an advertorial or something like that. Like you yeah. could write that in a day, have it running for two days and have the data back on day four, right? Mm -hmm. And you immediately have information and then you could go split test the headline or something like that. And so you're starting to get loads of information very fast. Um, when I was at The Motley Fool, I was writing long form stuff all the time, but The Motley Fool had such a robust data system and they were always getting data back and they had a really well run testing operation. And so I was always, you know, sitting down with the traffic guys or the optimization guys and saying, what little tests can I participate in? Like, can I write a bunch of subject lines for you guys? Um, as long as you give me the data back, like I'm happy to take an hour out of my day every day to do that sort of stuff because it was so valuable to me. And so we always try and give our writers that opportunity too. And I think it's just a wise way to really bring someone into a market or a business and have them understand the various draws of different products, different offers, and how those things connect with kind of like the core customer that they're real job is to get to know very, very, very well. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and how do you like, uh, move writers up through whatever system you have, you know, do you, do you uh, move them up to longer form copy uh, once they prove themselves? Yeah. I mean, I think the goal for any writer who we hire or really you know, any business would hire is eventually you want to get them to the place where they're mostly independent. And if there's a chief in place, really what that means is like a lot of the ideas and stuff, they'll come from the chief, right? Yeah. A lot of kind of the direction, but if I'm the chief and I say, here's our idea, here's the five most important things you need to know about it. And like, here's kind of the concept that I have. The goal is to get the person to be able to execute on that pretty fast or pretty yeah. independently, I should say fast and independently. Those are because those are the two costs to, to the business is if they can't do it independently, they need a lot of oversight. That's a cost. And if they're mm. taking so much time, that's also a cost. So it's also, it's a kind of about looking at how, how much faith you have that a writer can do that. And honestly, like it doesn't have to be, they don't have to be an A-list a writer to get to that level. Um, the beautiful thing about working in sort of the internet marketing world is that 
80% is usually good enough. Yeah. And definitely good enough to get out and to get the data back. And so if we have confidence that a writer can be independent enough to really basically put, take a good swing, we'll put them in and we'll let them, we'll see what happens essentially, because, you know, this is something that I think you and I talked about on the loss recordings is that really the name of this game, it all comes down to finding leverage points. Direct response businesses are really businesses that are in search of finding leverage. And by that, you know, I mean, of the 10 next promotions, which one's going to be the one that is the 80-20 producer? Yeah, yeah. And so really the only way to do that is to just keep taking those swings. And so it really becomes kind of a game of production and volume and speed in some regards, right? Like I'm not advocating to just put anything out there, extremely low quality and, you know, no due diligence behind it. But what I am advocating against is this sort of level of perfection that I see kind of running rampant in the industry especially with copywriters. I think copywriters <laughs> probably there's some sort of psychological basis for copywriters having a little bit of a perfectionism bias, yeah. you know, kind of so across awesome. the board, the ones that I made. Yeah. The ones I made. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, you get really attached to it. Yeah. But one of the things that I'm always trying to work with myself and with the writers who I'm chiefing and coaching is that you cannot get attached to that baby um yeah the the faster you can do it you know the faster you can get it to that 80 percent quality level the better it is for everyone involved the better it is for the writer because they're gonna naturally have more projects out there they're gonna make more money and what's good for the writer is almost always good for the client yeah or good for the business that they're working in-house for yeah so it's just one of those things where it's incredibly painful sometimes to look at your writing (laughs) and say like this is not what i think it should be or something doesn't feel right but the discipline to keep going in that situation is actually a big part of what i do with some of the writers that i work with is just say like keep going Mm. you don't need to worry about this i'll worry about that later if we have to right that's Mm. kind of the chief's job is to tell them that it will get handled but their job is to just keep writing yeah do you find like um they have all different sorts of uh, of learning curves yeah you know, some learn really quick and, and get fast really quick while um others might be slower but do you find the ones that are, are slower um uh do you find that they, they, they often tend to be worth it or is speed a good a speed of learning a good indicator of, of how good they are? You know, I, I have not found any pattern in that regard. The one pattern that I can say I've noticed over and over again is that there are plateaus. Yeah. Pretty much every writer I've ever worked with will have a development curve that, you know, it goes up and to the right for a little bit of time and then it flattens out and then it goes yeah. up and to the right for a little bit of time. And to me, what has always sort of been an indicator of maybe how much future potential they have is what happens for them to break out of those plateaus. Almost inevitably breaking out of those plateaus is a 
consequence of having a major breakthrough or sort of a major realization about what makes direct response work or what makes copywriting work. And, and this, this is uh, like over and above what you find in books and courses. What kind of breakthroughs are we talking about? Here? Well, I think it's what you would find in a book and a course, but really being able to internalize it and execute on it and like truly understand what it means. Yeah. Right. So I'll give you an example that might, that I think is actually a fairly advanced example. So, you know, you get a book or a course on copywriting and pretty much across the board, this book or course is going to say, oh, what you are in the business of doing is, uh, is persuading someone via tapping into their emotions, right? Yeah. Getting into their emotions. Yeah. And what I don't think people really quite grasp at first is that that's incredibly hard. That is a really high level skill. And there's actually probably several different call it levels at which you can do it. Right. Mm -hmm. So here's where one of those breakthroughs might happen is like in the first level of two of being able to quote unquote, play on someone's emotions with your copy, you're not really truly understanding what's going on emotionally with that person or what you can say. You're just kind of like mimicking what you know would work. Right. Yeah kind of the surface level things that you can tap into to sort of hit on whatever emotional state that they're in. Yeah. But the real breakthrough, so you might plateau on that level of understanding for a few months, right? And it yeah. will work for you. Then somehow, some way you have this breakthrough and you say, oh, I see it so much deeper now. I understand that the reason that person cares about their weight or the reason that person cares about their health or the reason that person cares about their finances isn't just those surface level things that I've been talking to them about, which are important, but it's actually goes, you know, 50 meters deeper than that. And there's so yeah. much more that I can do to really bring this copy to life. That's the kind of breakthrough that, you know, you know, what's there, but it just sort of takes time to internalize it and to really, understand it and so to go back to your original question i think what i've noticed is that the best writers tend to have those breakthroughs happen more profoundly or not necessarily even faster but it's when it happens it's like a light bulb or a switch goes off it, it's, it's almost like it it it's like one promo to the next you can notice that something deeply profound has happened to this person's copy mm. and i've seen that happen you know time and time again and almost inevitably the writers who i've seen that happen with have just continued to get better and continued to do better things for their their clients and the businesses that they're working for mm. so um that's really interesting because uh uh, there's obviously no way to really predict um, how somebody will go until, until they actually uh, keep working and, and you either see them improve or not. So, um, so yeah, I mean, one thing that I can say to that is I think there is a certain amount of stubbornness that leads to success in this business. Yeah. Um, I think you have to most be. of the writers that I've seen have breakthroughs like that. The breakthrough didn't come because they were, you know, twiddling their thumbs around. It came because they were really applying themselves to the craft. Yeah. And I don't mean you have to do that for 10 hours a day or whatever, but 
these people who I've noticed this happen with, including myself, that they just tend to be very, very deep thinkers, very passionate about the art of copywriting mm. and very in tuned with kind of the concept that I really enjoy about in my career, which is that I don't think that there's an end destination. I think copywriting is a journey. I think it's almost a never ending yeah, sure. hole that you can go down to keep learning, yeah. to keep getting better. And, you know, I don't do it that out of obsession or compulsion. I do it because I enjoy it. And that joy of just continually finding new stuff to make myself better. Um, you know, like I said, I've been doing this for seven years and I think I still get better every year. Yeah. And so I'm a little biased, but when I look at writers, that's the kind of thing that really screams out to me as being kind of that indicator of this is someone who's going to have those breakthroughs. Yeah. Um, and do you, are you uh, bullish on like providing all the, uh, all the, all the resources and stuff that people need to learn the stuff at a deeper level? Um, I have, I guess, a moderate amount of respect for various, you know, formalized ways of education, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, but the caveat I will say is I think a lot of that is only worthwhile if you're working consistently at applying it, right? You have to be writing and you have to be thinking deeply about how those things work. And, you know, as someone who's spent most of my copywriting career in, in sort of a copywriting team of some, some form, right? In-house at The Motley Fool or as part of this agency, I will say that I think collaboration with a chief is you know a hundred times more valuable yeah yeah just yeah. getting that direct feedback from somebody who not only is a master at the craft but is basically a master at understanding whatever the particular project or business or offer or you know prospect that you're working towards converting yeah. that is worth you know, one hour with a person like that is worth a hundred watching awesome. videos, yeah. courses and stuff like that. But I've always been, you know, a fan of consuming that sort of information and then using my own projects and my own work with Aaron, who still chiefs my work to this day to really integrate it and to gain that understanding. And that's where my breakthroughs have come from is when I can sort of take pieces from the more formalized education and then sit down and say, Oh, that's how it applies to this thing that's in front of me right now. Yeah. Interesting. And then that happens, you know, like once you learn something like that, it doesn't go away. You don't forget how to do it. And so yeah. then you have sort of this, this asset that's continuing to help you do better and to write better and to make more money for whatever project you are on for the rest of your career. <laughs> so, it really becomes like a uh, um, a uh, mentor protege coaching kind of relationship between the copy chief and uh, the writers uh, um, underneath him. Yeah, and I think what I've really enjoyed about sort of watching the industry evolve over the last few years is I think that on both sides, both from the writer standpoint and the business chiefing standpoint, what people are understanding is that 
the best relationships are the deep long-term relationships, right? We've had a lot of success because we've invested in developing our writers so that they can mm -hmm. get to that point of independence that we talked about and that you asked me about. Yeah. Um, you know, the model of hiring someone one off, I don't have a problem with it, but I think it needs to be done in a very specific circumstance. Right. So when I talk to businesses who say, I don't know if I should be hiring an in-house writer and developing them. I don't know if that should be a junior person or should I hire a senior person who comes in and is independent or should I just be hiring freelancers to like work on our biggest projects? What I tell them is that it's actually like a mixture of all of those things, right? So you have the ideal thing in my mind is you have kind of your in-house team, which may be a junior and a senior, or at least someone, some sort of mix of people who are developed and developing. Yeah. And then you kind of get, you know, you get your, your best practices in place. There's a certain model that you know works for you. Your promos tend to kind of have that particular in-house style to them and then when you really need to flip the apple cart open and have just a, an injection of new creativity different creativity an injection of a different style that's when you go and you find that a-lister who's going to charge 30 grand or whatever mm. and and you bring them in to you know take on hopefully a marquee project but also to show you in an entirely different way to do that project. And that will actually help because the in-house team will see how that's being executed. They'll see yeah. what's working, what's not working, and it'll just add a whole nother dimension to what they're working on. But, yeah. you know, to answer your question, I think it really, at this kind of stage in the, the evolution of direct response and it's just very intense and it moves fast. And I think being willing to kind of have those long-term relationships that are formed a little bit less on short-term outcomes and are formed more on what you might even call a long-term partnership in some way. Um, that's yeah. really where I think a lot of the both providers and the companies that are hiring them should be going. And I've seen a lot of that and people, you know, the reason I can talk about so much of this pretty frankly is that I've had this discussion with dozens of businesses at this point who don't know how to hire or develop or don't know what to look for. Mm. And the fact that they're coming around and asking tells me that, you know, that realization is kind of hitting the market. I and mean, I think that it only is good for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, um, uh, I mean, you, you've given us some real good insights into into uh, uh, running a business like that. Because um, I know the uh, um, most most freelance copywriters, in my experience, you know, they uh, um, uh, they're happy with what they're doing, but they have that dream of like expanding into a into a, a full. Um, uh, um, at least, at least, at least a, a, a model of success like yours, even if they're not thinking agency, if they're not thinking um, growing a huge team, uh, you know, there's no, they, they can only write so much. This is why uh, stuff like this is really interesting to them. Yeah. And, you know, they don't, it's like you said, it doesn't have to be an agency, even just bringing one person on yeah. to slowly develop, to take some of the workload 
and then essentially grow into kind of a right-hand writer, that is incredibly valuable. And, you know, there's plenty of examples of essentially two-person teams doing great yeah. things. Yeah. And uh, um, uh, going by Agora's model, it's always um, uh, upsides to hiring writers. You know, the, uh, the rule of Agora lives by is that the more copywriters they hire, um, the more money they make. Yeah, and that goes back, you know, to this principle of kind of finding the leverage points, right? In that yeah. the more copy that's coming out of any particular shop, the the more likely they are to sort of stumble upon that that million dollar idea or in a yeah. key, you know, the 10, 10 or 20 million dollar idea um, yeah yeah it it really comes down to that in sort of everything that we've talked about today it's just how do we get as much out of our writers as possible or as a writer how do i get as much out of myself as possible and yeah. you know like i said i'm not I'm the last person who's going to advocate sitting in front of a computer for 12 hours a day. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, that's not what I mean by that statement, but it's about how making every hour and every project count the most and getting them done in an efficient way without having that perfectionism attached to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, uh, um, the key to it. Not to, I mean, perfection, perfectionism becomes procrastination and, uh, and you just like waiting around for the perfect scenario, which never comes. And then all of a sudden everyone else is overtaking you and, and you're right back where you started. Well, yeah. And you know, to, to bring things full circle with what you just said, like that is the beauty of, I think why Agora's copywriting system has worked and why Agora has continued to grow every year is because they instill a certain level of that into their writers and I can contrast that with plenty of businesses I know that they never get into that mindset of we're building a productive copy team mm. and so they spend too long on promos with their writers they give their developing writers too much leeway in terms of long deadlines or mm. you know requiring every revision to be 100% word edited by the chief even for a junior writer, which, you know, that's a long, <laughs> that's a long undertaking is to really yeah. take a junior writer and bring their project into that sort of perfect realm. And I've seen plenty of businesses that just stall because they just don't do it fast enough. Their copy team isn't built to grow, mm. Built, mm. built to grow the business, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really, that's another really interesting aspect that um, we're probably going to have to touch on that uh, next time I, I have you on the, on the show. Um, uh, because, uh, you know, I'm really interested in hearing more about this uh, as well as the listeners, you know. Um, so how can they, um, in the meantime, how can they find out more about this and, and follow you guys and, and what you're doing? Yeah, um, the best way is to get on my email list. I don't email incredibly often, but you know, I try and shoot out a few, few things a, a month, and they tend to be longer form kind of high level treatments of some of the stuff like we've talked about today. Um, yeah. So the best, the best place for that is 
ferrarimedia.com there's just a simple opt-in there yeah oh awesome yeah um yeah i highly recommend it anyone uh, uh listening to this podcast definitely go there and, and check it out because dan's one of the uh, um copywriters that i follow online and and uh, um while he's uh, uh doesn't see the light the limelight as much as some of the other writers you know he's he's in the trenches doing this stuff like you've just been listening to um i'll put i'll put that link also on the uh on the on the page at geniusofcopywriting.com but uh, um for anyone listening on itunes or whatever uh ferrarimedia.com um go and sign up there uh and uh um uh uh, from what I what I've seen of Dan's emails, um, uh, there's some of there's some of the best that out there. It's one of the few lists that uh, that I value being on. I actually open the emails and everything. So um, Thank you. appreciate that. Yeah, it's def- definitely worthwhile. So uh, FerrariMedia.com, go and sign up there and uh, and uh, stay in touch with Dan. Um, he uh, is a true genius in copywriting. So thanks for coming on. I appreciate you. Appreciate your time. Thanks. It's been a blast. Appreciate it. No problems. Uh, We'll have to do this again soon. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to Geniuses of Copywriting with Brian Casagina. To get the full transcript and all the resources mentioned on today's show, go to www.geniusesofcopywriting.com now.